you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew, the 18th chapter. We're going to start in verse 21. We're going to continue our Made Whole series this morning. Talking about forgiveness. And talking about how one of the steps and one of the processes to being made whole up until this point we have talked about kind of God's responsibility to us as we submit ourselves today is where the rubber meets the road today's where the rubber meets the road Matthew chapter 18 verse 21 then Peter came to him and said Lord how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him up to seven times and Jesus said I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay his master, as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be, that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, forgave him the debt. Uh-oh. And forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, laid hands on him, took him by the throat saying, Pay me what you owe me so his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying have patience with me and I will pay you all and he would not but went and threw him into the prison till he should pay the debt so when his fellow servants saw what had been done they were very very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done then his master after he had called him said to him you wicked servant I forgave you all the debt because you begged me should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you and his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Father, as we come to your word this morning, I'm asking you that you would speak to us and that your heart would be made known in this room in our time together. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen. And amen. You could be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. Uh, as I told you a moment ago, and if you were listening to the video, if we're going to be like him, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6 said it like this. If we say we abide in him, we ought to walk as he walked. If we're going to be like him, we've got to do the things that he did. Now, I do want to pause here and address the elephant in the room. It is snowing outside. And, and this is not stunning to some of you, we do not live in tropical Florida. We live in Ohio. Yes? Snow, I, <laughs> I know the Lord created it. <laughs> But I'm not so sure that he didn't give it to the devil and say, buffet my pastors. 
on Sunday morning, <laughs> on Sunday morning with the snow, and challenge my Christians, my believers, with the snow. Um, and this is a good time to remind you that we'll only cancel church if there's a level two snow emergency in Franklin County. Um, but as we seek the word of the Lord for us as we continue to talk about wholeness and being made whole, I, I was praying this week and just really felt the, the weight of the Holy Spirit settle on this topic of forgiveness. Uh, in, we are a Pentecostal church. How many of you are thankful to be a Pentecostal believer? We're a charismatic church. We believe in the gifts, the charismata, the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, we are really good at speaking in tongues, prophesying, preaching, worshiping, and we have the Holy Ghost for all those things, but we don't have the Holy Ghost to forgive. I don't know what kind of Holy Ghost you messed around and got, but the one I got won't let me go 48 hours without dealing with what's in here. The one I got, when I come to worship, he reminds me, before you worship, don't, before you worship, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled with your brother. And one of the chief stumbling blocks to wholeness is unforgiveness. You will never be whole if you do not forgive. And, and one of the reasons I, I believe we don't forgive is we don't live with eternity in our sight or our mind. I'm gonna start at the end and then we're gonna work back. Jesus just said, if you don't forgive from your heart your brother or a person, then my Father in heaven cannot forgive you. There's gonna be a lot of people who miss heaven because they've got unforgiveness in their heart. Ooh, that's hard to hear, but the word is what the word said. A lot of people who worshiped hard, they spoke in tongues, they prophesied, they even read the Bible, but they had unforgiveness in their heart. And so we have to live with eternity in mind. So let's talk about it for a moment. First, we start with the forgiven. Ephesians chapter one and seven said, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. Colossians chapter one and 14 said, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. This word forgiveness means to release from the bondage of imprisonment, to pardon or letting them go as if what had been done had never been committed. To redeem, it means a releasing affected by the payment or ransom. And, and, and so I stop here, this whole conversation around forgiveness has to begin with the understanding that you and I have been forgiven. We have been forgiven by Jesus. And the required price for our forgiveness was his blood shed on Calvary. It's not a coincidence that they sang these songs this morning. They didn't know what I was going to preach about. They had no clue that I was going to start my whole message telling you that the only way for you to be forgiven is by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
He paid the ransom for your sin. He paid the required price of your sin. In Isaiah 1.18, in fact, before in Hebrews 9.22, the scripture said that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or removing of sin. In Isaiah 1 and 18, he said, come now, let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they will be as wool. In Revelation 1 and 5, the angels and the elders cried out unto him who loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood. In Revelation 12, 11, the scripture said that we overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and love not our lives unto death. In Revelation 7, 14, John the Revelator is standing and the elder asked him a question, who are these? And John said, I don't know, but you do. And the elder responded and said, these are they which have come out of great tribulation and have washed their robes white in the blood of the lamb. Our forgiveness of sin was a price we could not pay. It was a debt I owed that I could not pay. I could live for a million years and not be able to repay or pay the debt I owed him. But God who is rich in love sent forth his son while we were yet sinners and Christ died for us, even died for the ungodly so that I could receive forgiveness from my sin. If you're thankful to be forgiven this morning, shout hallelujah. I'm thankful to be forgiven. He said, we have been forgiven and redeemed according to the riches of his grace. The word riches here means riches, wealth, or abundance. The abundance or the wealth of his grace. Grace, we didn't get what we deserved. I, I, am, I am tired of a theology that preaches the highness and greatness of man. It's new age. I am only worthy because he made me worthy. I am only saved because he saved me. I got news for you. There is none righteous. There is none good. No, not one. Not one of us. Not me. I know you expected more out of your pastor. I'm just telling you what the Bible said. Not me. Not you. Not your mama. Not your grandmama. They could have been the most sweet and gentle Christ-like person in the world and they were only that way because of Jesus. And you've got a whole theology and a whole doctrine being built around. Find out who you are. Find out how you do this. And, and, and you are worth it. And, and, and you, have, you, need to, you need to speak affirmations over yourself. Baby, the only affirmation that I should need is the fact that God who created the heaven and the earth and said let there be and things begin to happen sent forth his son to redeem a wretched piece of dust like me. And he saved me and I'm no longer on my way way to hell but I'm on my way to heaven and there's a there's a heavenly home waiting for me on the other shore there is none righteous no not one but God who is rich in mercy sent forth his son while I was yet a sinner to redeem I read to you a moment ago in a moment of of celebration Ephesians chapter 2 where he says by grace are you saved through faith not of works lest any man should boast. But when you put line upon line and precept upon precept, you find that works are a part of the Christian life. 
Come on now. I do not. Okay. I'm going to help somebody today. I am not saved because I forgive. I forgive because I'm saved. That's works. My forgiveness of another does not save me. But because I've been forgiven, I can forgive. Not I can, I must. Jesus said of the woman who came and washed his feet with expensive perfume, her story will be told forever because she's been forgiven much and whoever is forgiven much loves much. I think what has happened in our worship experiences and in our worship times and our times of coming together corporately, I said this again a moment ago in moment of celebration, we have been saved so long we forget. I know it's, it's heavy in the room today. We've been saved so long we forget what he really pulled us out of. What he really redeemed us from. And, and when we remember, I said this Wednesday night, Everywhere in the scriptures, or a couple Wednesday nights ago, everywhere in the scriptures you see this phrase, when they saw him, they worshiped. When they saw him, they worshiped. I can tell in this room and in any room I walk into where there's worship happening, who has really seen him, who's really been forgiven, who really remembers what it's like to be in sin and Jesus rescued them. I can tell by how you worship. Oh, that's really not, some of y'all don't like that. Y'all don't like that. Those who have been forgiven much love much. The woman who brought the oil to Jesus' feet had been forgiven much. She, she, she had no other recourse but to come and pour out everything on his feet. You can tell. Because when they saw him, they worshiped him. And so we've been saved. We've been forgiven. We have been pardoned from the bondage of imprisonment. Our sin is no more held against us. He cast it as far as the east is from the west. We've been saved by grace through faith. But let's talk about unforgiveness for a minute. Number one, unforgiveness begins in offense. Offense, a moment, a word, an action that offended you, that caused you to come into offense. Offense is a sign of the last days. Matthew 24 and 10, and then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. This word offended means a snare or an occasion to fall or the trigger on a trap. Many will fall into the trap of offense. I have come today to help you understand that offense is a choice you make after you've been offended. It's a choice you make after you've been offended. I can choose. I know some of y'all don't like this because it puts the onus on you. It's the works of salvation. I can choose not to be offended. I can choose not to be caught off guard or be held by what someone did to me or what they said to me or what happened to me, I can choose not to be offended. And, and if we're not, if you have eyeballs in your head and a brain, you can understand that we are living in Matthew 24, 10. Many are being offended. Hmm. 
We are, uh, we're offended if staff don't say hi. We're offended if we come in and y'all think this is just something preachers say. I've watched it, I've seen it. We're offended if we come in and people are sitting in the seat we normally sit in. We're offended if the preacher under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit starts talking about your life, you get offended. Worse than that, Christians are becoming offended at the truth. Because they've bought into a political, I'm gonna get in trouble. They bought into a political lie that has now handcuffed pulpits all over America. That abortion is political, the LGBTQ movement is political, this, 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 and that. And so we, 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 we're offended. And because we're offended, I'm telling you what, a lot was uncovered in the last election cycle. People getting offended about who you vote for and what you're voting over and ruining relationships for two men who don't even know your name. Don't know where you live. Don't know your life story. And you're ruining relationships because you get offended with one another. And it's foolish. And it's tearing churches apart. And it's tearing families apart. And it's tearing friendships apart. Because we are choosing offense because it is easier to be offended than it is to let it go. It's easier to be offended than it is to let it go. So while I'm here, I might as well offend some of you. <laughs> 10 years ago, the LGBTQ movement, all they wanted to do was get married. Today, now they want to teach your children. In 10 years. Today, they want to teach your kids. They want to tell your kids that they're not the gender that they were born, and it's okay to not feel this way, and it's okay to change your sex. Not only do they want to teach them that, they want to empower them to make that decision as a five and six year old. I figured while I'm here, I might as well just preach the truth. And the government wants you to believe that abortion is a right. You can be right and still go to hell. And you can, you can have rights and, and murder babies in the womb and I preached to you a few weeks ago on Romans 1 that those who practice it or those who practice it are upheld by those who approve of it. So I'm, I'm, I'm less about the people having an abortion. I want to see them healed. I want to see them whole. I want to see God restore them. I'm more about in the house of God, people who are approving what God is against. This is an illustrated message. You can either choose to be offended or you can let it go. All right. <laughs> Many will be offended. They will fall into the trap of offense. They will ruin families, ruin relationships, ruin life because they're offended. I'm not going to stand up here and act like I know what happened to all of you. I don't. I, I don't know even a small percentage of your stories. What I know is that the word of God is true even if your story hurts. Many will be offended. It creates hurt. And here is a truth that you have heard preached from this pulpit and other pulpits in life. Hurt people hurt people. But let's flip that on its head. Healed people heal people. Hurt people hurt people. Healed people healed people. You've got to get healed. 
The devil wants you to stay hurt. He wants you to stay in bondage to that offense. He wants you to stay bound by that offense that you took at the thing the person said or did or didn't do or didn't say. He wants you to stay offended so it can create hurt in your life and you cannot be an agent of wholeness used by the Holy Spirit. Creates hurt. I once saw a picture of a snake that was wrapped around a handsaw. And, and the story went that this snake was slithering through an old man's garage one day and he came and he accidentally nicked the handsaw and it cut him and he thought that the handsaw was another animal and so he bit the handsaw and, and obviously because the handsaw is sharp, it hurt him again. So he decided, okay, I'm gonna coil myself around the handsaw, and what happened? The snake died. The snake died, and that's how we are. Going through life, we get nicked, and because of our flesh, we wanna bite back. And we bite back, and we get nicked again, and we bite back, and we get nicked again, and then we get wrapped up in it, and all of a sudden, we realize, I am slowly dying in offense. Offense can come in many different ways because what begins to happen, and if I can just be real with you today, is that we come to a place where a lot of offense happens because of unmet expectations. Has anybody ever had unmet expectations, unmet desires? We have a lot of offense that happens because we have unmet desires, unmet expectations, and at the root of it, we were afraid to voice our, un our expectations and voice our desires, so we are holding an offense against somebody who doesn't even know we're offended. Come on. And what happens is those unmet desires and unmet expectations become the measuring sticks for your next relationship. Well, that person hurt me that way, so I'm fully expecting for you to hurt me this way, and it ruins your trust. I can't trust you in this area because I was hurt in this area before, and you didn't get healed. One of the struggles we have in marriages across this room and across the world is that people brought in heavy hurts that never got healed. And they can't trust their spouse because they never healed. It's, a lot of times it's not an issue of love. It's an issue of trust. It's an issue of am, am I healed enough to trust you in this area? And because we have offense, offense then leads to unforgiveness. If you're with me, say, I'm there. Offense turns into unforgiveness. John Hopkins Medical Center, Karen Swartz, an MD, said this of unforgiveness. Chronic anger puts you, do you see how she defines unforgiveness? Chronic anger. Chronic anger puts you into a heightened fight or flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes, among other conditions. So you think that unforgiveness is just something you get to hold on to. What you, realize, what you don't realize is you're literally destroying your physical life by holding on to unforgiveness. Scientifically, I'm not standing up here just puffing smoke. Scientifically, unforgiveness destroys your life. I know some of you are sitting here thinking, why can't he just go back to preaching like he did the last couple weeks? That's our problem. We love when the hype is here and we love when, when Matt's back. Listen, I love when Matt's backing me up on the organ. I love preaching like that. 
But the word of God is, is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sometimes for encouraging and edifying, and other times it is to cut. Okay. Unforgiveness, those of you with small children, you need to listen to me. Unforgiveness not only hurts you, but it hurts your future. Your children will reap the fruit of your inability to forgive. And you will always be broken, and you will always be kept away from being made whole because you choose not to forgive. And, and, and you'll come to this place where you say, man, I thought there was more to life than this. I thought there was more to life than this. I thought there was more to life than this. And what you'll realize is that you move from offense into unforgiveness, and then you move from unforgiveness into bitterness. Unforgiveness turns into bitterness. The Bible said in Hebrews 12 and 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by it many become defiled. Number one, the word root here means a basic cause or a primary reason for something. Bitterness means resentment. A root is something from which everything else flows. Everything else flows. Trees die because the roots don't get enough nutrient. It's true of all plants. Whatever is the root supplies the rest of the life. And so Paul is saying, be careful that, that a root of bitterness does not take over you. See, here's, here's the problem. Some see their emotions, their coping, and even their sin as a root, but it is simply a branch from the root uh, okay there are some of you that struggle with anger and you are trying you have tried binding and loosing you have tried therapy and counseling you've tried everything you can to get control of your anger what you need to do is go to the root the root is not oftentimes you getting angry the root is oftentimes bitterness the root is oftentimes rejection in your childhood, and, and, and among other things. And that's just for anger. And we come to this moment in time, we come to this place where we take a look at our life and we realize, man, the things that I'm doing, my actions are manifestations of a root in my life. They're manifestations of something that has been a seed that then begin to develop roots and I didn't kill the seed when it was a seed so now I've got to kill it when it's a tree. I am, well, I'm not anymore. I was a year and a half ago and then I started pastoring this church. I was one of the most anti-confrontational people you'll ever meet. And let me, let me make sense of that. You're not gonna walk up and say the wrong thing to me and me just start swinging on you, okay? That's not gonna happen. I'm still anti-confrontational in that way. But when it comes to dealing with issues that are there, dealing with things that we have, to, we have to deal with as leaders to become better and more effective and disciples, you with me? And I read a quote one day that just really just rocked my world and, and it also made me really mad because it offended me. But I got over it. But it said as leaders, you have to be willing to confront when it's in a seed form. Because if you don't kill the seed, tomorrow it'll be a sapling. Next week it'll be an oak tree. And to pull up roots of an oak tree is a lot messier than just killing the seed. 
So there are some of you that have a lot of oak trees in your life. It's going to be messy. I promise you it's worth it. Please listen to me. It's worth it to heal. It's worth it to heal. Then there are some of you that have some offenses in seed form. Kill the seed. Let it go. Kill the seed before it turns into something a lot messier than it is now. And and so this root of bitterness takes root in your heart and from it, everything else flows. And bitterness causes me to dismiss the grace of God. So the same grace I was forgiven with, I've now chosen to dismiss because of bitterness. So number one, unforgiveness turns to bitterness. Here's what bitterness does. Number one, bitterness causes trouble. The word trouble here means disturbance or to annoy or confusion, uproar or to be vexed. Listen to the meaning of this Greek word, to be vexed by demons. When we operate and live in bitterness, we will find our lives disturbed, annoyed, this is the Greek word, I'm not making this up, and vexed by demonic influence. Vexed by demonic influence. We will see life and say, why can't my life turn out like this? Why do I feel like everything is working against me? Why do I feel so heavy and weighty all the time? You may have a root of bitterness. If you're going to walk out your kingdom calling. So number one, bitterness causes trouble. Number two, bitterness causes defilement. The word defile here in, he- in, uh, in Hebrews means to pollute or to dye with another color or to contaminate. Bitterness changes the color of life and the kingdom. Bitterness will take things that ought to be in color and beautiful and wonderful and will suck the life out of them. Come on. Well, suck the life out of them. You should be celebrating with your family. You should be in joy when people come over and you're in community, but you can't seem to just get out of this funk because bitterness has changed the color of your life. It's no longer beautiful. It's no longer vibrant. You feel like every day is kind of like an Ohio day of weather. Dreary and gray and gross. And, and the life has been sucked out of you because bitterness has polluted your life. Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 said, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Bitter people will not inherit the kingdom of God. I have in my time in ministry, I've met bitter preachers. And it's dangerous to sit under a bitter preacher because you duplicate what you demonstrate. And a bitter person has a tongue like a snake. Ooh, I'm gonna show you right here in the word. A bitter person has a tongue like a snake and they look okay and, and, and on the surface they seem innocent but you offend them, you get on their bad side 
you don't do what they want you to do, all bets are off. Tongues like snakes. And, and, and Simon the sorcerer, for instance, eight, Acts chapter 8 and 23, Simon is trying to buy the Holy Spirit, and Peter looks at him and says, I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound in iniquity. This word poison means gall or bile. Gall in the ancient times was from a plant, and when it was eaten, it was very bitter, but listen, it gave off a narcotic effect. It tasted bad, but it made you want more. That's what bitterness does. It tastes horrible, but you can't help it. It tastes terrible, but you can't, you can't break away from it. A bitter person has difficulty seeing their life without bitterness. And they become addicted to their bitterness. It controls their life. Then the next thing, bitterness turns into slander. Somebody say slander. That was okay. Say slander. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. The word slander here means, it's the Greek word blasphemia. It's where we get our word blaspheme. And it means injurious speech to another's good name. Speech that injures another person. We have a plague of slander in the body of Christ today. An absolute plague in the body of Christ. And, and, and we veil, help us Holy Spirit, we veil our slander in spiritual talk. Okay, pray with me about so-and-so. And then we go into every detail of their life that's been given to us. Uh, that's called slander. Oh, I left that church because of X, Y, and Z. That's called slander and we have a plague of it in the body of Christ and we mask it in our spirituality God called me to be a prophet no he didn't maybe he did but if you can't get James 126 under control God will never use you to be a prophet some of you are like what's James 126 if a man cannot control his tongue his religion is worthless that's what the Bible said. I'm not here to tell you something the Bible didn't say. The Bible said that. And, and we've got, I told you a couple weeks ago in Romans 1, they, they're called whisperers. They get into corners and they start to whisper. It's in churches all over America and we are bent on calling out homosexuality and calling out uh, 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 fornication and calling out pornography and we can't get our tongues under control. And we wonder why a generation doesn't want to stay in church and be connected to church because a generation could spot plastic from miles away. A generation walks in and they hear people in corners bad-mouthing the pastor and the church and the leadership and they, then they come in and everybody's lifting their hands in worship. A generation could say, I don't want to be a part of that. And I get up here and preach about homosexuality and, and fornication and everybody's shouting amen, but then when I start talking about slander and gossip, y'all are quiet. You know why? Because our flesh needs to prioritize sin so we can be comfortable in the sin we're in. I'm gonna prioritize homosexuality and fornication being terrible, but man, down here, on the, it's not as bad as gossip. I mean, it's, it's worse than gossip. 
It's worse than slander. It's worse than anger. Scripture said we're going to be judged according to our works. Jesus said that in Matthew 16. He's going to reward each one of us according to our works. And so if you have a problem with your tongue, I suggest you check your heart for a root of bitterness. Okay. And let me, let me help you understand something. I want to be vulnerable with you because I've been here. I've walked through every step that I'm talking to you about. And the temptation to slander another name is there. It's present. And I make a decision. I'm not going to pull down another just so that I can get the upper hand. It's not worth it. Jesus didn't die for that. See, I told our staff, I told our staff last week, we were talking about, you know, vulnerability and, and, and people. And, and I, you know, we talked about pastoring perfect people. I can't pastor perfect people. Okay? Y'all are too good for me. You, you got your stuff together. I don't. I'm, I'm on the wheel with God. There are still things that I'm working through as a believer. I'm not just a pastor. I'm a believer. I'm a Christian who submitted to the will of God. And so when I say things like, I want to be vulnerable with you. I've walked through this. Some of you go, oh, if I wanted to be my pastor. I've walked through it, so I have the ability to testify through it. That by the Holy Spirit's help, you are able to overcome bitterness and be set free okay and there's also this little thing in the scripture called the fruit of the spirit and part of the fruit of the spirit hello is called self-control and the holy spirit will not stand in front of you and put his hand over your mouth no he is in you to stop that thought from getting to your mouth in the first place okay i know some of you are like man it's snowing I fought a lot to get here, and this man is preaching like this. I might as well go home. Okay. It's all right. You would have watched live stream anyways. You would have watched it anyways. Number five, bitterness blocks your ability to hear. You say, what do you mean? Let me just give you a real illustration right here in this moment. Number one, uh, I'm a pastor. This is a church. We are all people who are not perfect who have imperfections, who lash out, who say things that we shouldn't say, who do things we shouldn't do. Am I testifying or am I, am I right or am I wrong? Okay, that's who we are. There are some of you sitting in this room who carry the weight of church hurt. And some of you may have been really seriously hurt and offended by a leader, by another person, by a preacher. And so you sit in this seat in this sanctuary every Sunday morning and you listen to me but all you can hear is them. You sit in this sanctuary every morning and you hear me, but all you can hear is them. And so it is blocking your ability to hear what the Lord is saying through me for you. And you wonder, why am I not growing? Why can't I do this? Because every time I speak, you hear the person who hurt you because you've got bitterness in your life. And you are holding me to a standard that I didn't break. Not just me, forget me, you're holding the church, the potter's house, to a standard that we didn't break. And, and, and you can miss, I believe there are people in churches all over America who are not in the churches they're supposed to be in because they got bitter 
And they couldn't find a church to settle in until they were just tired of bouncing from church to church. And they're settled in a place they ought not be because they were bitter when they first left. I know it's heavy. I know it's heavy. But if we're going to really be made whole, we've got to deal with this. All right, if you're with me, say, I'm there. Okay, so now we step out of unforgiveness and into forgiveness, and then we're going to be done. Martin Luther King said, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. Mark Twain said it like this, forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet sheds on the heel that crushed it. There are roadblocks to forgiveness. Number one is pride. Pride. You know what prideful people say when they're faced with having to forgive? Well, they didn't ask for forgiveness. You want to know one of the principles of Matthew chapter 18 that I just read to you? The man who Jesus forgave didn't have the resource or the intellectual property to forgive or to ask for forgiveness. Some of you are expecting an apology from someone it's never going to come from. You're expecting an I'm sorry, please forgive me from somebody who doesn't have it in their intellectual mind or in their resources to ask you to forgive them. And pride will say, I am not forgiving them until they ask for an apology, until they apologize to me. I will not offer forgiveness until they come and say, I'm sorry. But remember, even while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us. And I didn't ask for an apology. I didn't, I didn't go and apologize to him. He died for me, and the way into salvation is repentance. Come on. So the forgiveness was already there. I just had to step into it. And, 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 and so pride, Proverbs eleven two. when pride comes, then comes shame. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low. James 4 and 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 18, 12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. The second roadblock to forgiveness is pain. I don't know who told you what, but it hurts to heal. It hurts to heal. And, and to truly heal, you're going to have to forgive in order to move through it. Because you'll start working through the process of being made whole and you'll be faced with that person or that thing or those words or that action that caused you to be offended in the first place and get broken in the first place and it will either stop you or you will be able to say, I forgive you. And like a domino, it falls to the ground and you can move through it. You know, I want, I want for a moment, they can come on out and start playing. I'm gonna edit on the fly. I want for a moment for us to consider Jesus on the cross, okay? Jesus on the cross, he's hanging on this cross and, and in the midst of being crucified, he cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Another harsh principle of forgiveness is that the person that you have unforgiveness toward probably doesn't even think that you have unforgiveness toward them because they don't think they did anything wrong. It's a harsh reality.
And, and here's the thing, and I've had to learn this over the years. Jesus hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And he had at his disposal and his resource the ability to fight back and defend himself. But in his dying moments, Father, forgive them. One of the hardest parts about forgiveness is that you don't get to defend yourself. Some of the things, some of the people that you're offended at and some of the people that you hold unforgiveness in your heart at and you sit there in your pride and you think, you better be thankful that I haven't talked because it could have ruined you. And you hold this bitterness in your heart toward them. And, and, and if Jesus is our example and we're called to be like him, we got to get up on the cross and die. Father, forgive them. I don't know if they knew what they were doing. I could defend myself. I could fight back. I have the resources. I have the intellectual property, the intellectual ability to fight back and to leave them in shambles. But I watch your example. And when you're dying on a cross, your last message, your last preaching message to the, to the earth was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Then there's the call to forgive. I read a moment ago in Matthew 18 when Peter, and of course it was Peter, right? Of course it was Peter. Who else would it be? Everybody else had their stuff together with the disciples, apparently. Peter's like, I really need to make sure that He's not calling us to go beyond. Came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive? Seven times seven? <laughs> seven times? Because Peter, Peter was educated, right? He knew numerology in the Hebrew language. He knew that seven was the number of completion, right? So he comes to Jesus and he says, if I forgive them seven times, it'll be completed, right? So after seven, I'm just done. I can cut them off and we can just move on. And Jesus responds to him and says, no, 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 I don't say to you up to seven. Seventy times seven. Seventy times seven. According to rabbinic history, the rabbis of that time had discussed this very question. And the rabbis came out and said, it's good for us that you forgive three times. But as Jesus often does throughout the scripture... He tells them, I'm not telling you to do what the rabbis say. I'm telling you to go beyond the law. Because the kingdom that I am bringing supersedes and has a different set of rules than the law does. So no, I'm not telling you that three is okay, nor is seven okay, but 70 times seven. And some of you sit here and you're like, that's a large number, that's the point. The point was not for you to count. 70 times 7 490 that wasn't the point the point Jesus was trying to say was your for your capacity listen to me your capacity for forgiveness ought to be unlimited your capacity to forgive ought to be unable to be numbered and reached 
very quickly, he goes on to tell a parable. How many of you know parables are, are, are Jesus' teaching of the principles of the kingdom? When you see a parable, lock into it. Study it. Here's this parable. A man came owing much money. And I'm going to give you a rundown real quick. This man, according to history, owed 20 years worth of wages. Think about working your job and not having to spend one dime how much money you'd have over 20 years. And then flip it. You owe that money to somebody. He owed 20 years wages. He's unable to pay it. He comes to Jesus and begs, be patient with me. And instead of saying, oh, you can pay it later, the man in the parable says, it's canceled. You don't even have to worry about paying it later. It's done right now. So then that man turns around and he goes and finds a man that owes him money. I want you to see how much money he owed in comparison. The man that he owed, the, owed him money owed one day's wage. He was just forgiven 20 years worth of debt. But he went after a man who owed him one day's wage. Same dilemma, couldn't pay. Same despair, he begged be patient. Different result. The man said, no, 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 pay me now and until you pay me, I'm throwing you in the prison. And so some of us are sitting in our unforgiveness waiting for that person to come and say, will you forgive me? Waiting for them to come and the reality is this. Unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Unforgiveness doesn't hurt the person you're mad at or the person you're bitter at. It kills you. It hurts you. It hurts your children. It hurts your family. It hurts your grandchildren. It hurts your babies. Well, they don't deserve to be forgiven. Neither did you. Neither did I. And yes, in the flesh, they very well may not be worthy of our forgiveness. But neither was I. And he still forgave me. He still forgave me. Jesus would go on. And now here, here is the unfortunate part of this. Here's the judgment. Was that originally the man and his possessions were going to be sold. But now in addition to being sold, he was going to be given over to torturers. That would torture him for the rest of his life. So what's the message? Failure to forgive brings punishment. And the forgiven must be ready to forgive always. Matthew chapter 6 and 14, Jesus said, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you yours.